In a moment we'll turn back to 1 Kings in chapter 8 and look specifically at the stranger passage, verses 41 to 43. But I'd like us to turn, first of all, to Isaiah chapter 56, which is on page 654 in the Church Bible. Isaiah chapter 56, and we read the first eight verses. Page 654. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the Son of Man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that they shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve me, sorry, to serve him, and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. Then if you will turn back to 1 Kings in chapter 8 and to that prayer of Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 8, that's on page 310 in Church Bible. And we read verses 41 to 43. This is Solomon's fifth petition. The other petitions are all for Israel and particularly when Israel sins in some way or other. But verse 41 is different. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this temple, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls on you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. What is Solomon's prayer for a foreigner? doing at the heart of his prayer on the day the temple is dedicated. It is the fifth petition out of seven petitions. And at first sight it doesn't seem to fit because all the other petitions, as we already hinted, relate to Israel. But this relates to a foreigner let's be clear, Solomon is not praying to the Lord here regarding the kind of person who has become a resident, who is a foreigner, who has now become a resident, a resident alien in Israel. Rather like Ruth the Moabites. She came and she took up residence actually in Israel. She almost made herself a Jew, even though she came from the nation of Moab. The stranger mentioned here, the foreigner mentioned here, is a full-blooded Gentile. There is nothing kosher 
about this man, this person. He is not, verse 41, not of your people Israel. He is from a far country. He is a definite outsider. He is excluded from the people of God. In the Old Testament, the word that is used to translate this foreigner, this stranger, is a word used to describe those who are outside of the covenant. It is used of those who worship foreign gods, idol worshippers, used of hostile foreign nations who are opposed to God and to the people of God. It is used of Solomon's foreign wives who led him astray in chapter 11. Yet Solomon, here in these verses, 41 to 43, prays regarding such foreigners that the God of Israel would also do for them according to all that the foreigner calls God to do. Doesn't that strike you as an amazing prayer in the midst of Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple? Why is he suddenly seemingly concerned with men who are complete strangers, outsiders? Well, we're going to try and answer that question this evening. And first of all, I want to show you and demonstrate to you from the Word of God that the grace of God lies behind Solomon's petition. The grace of God. It will help us understand Solomon's prayer and his petition for these foreigners, these strangers, if we realize it is the grace of God that lies behind. Remember, first of all, that Solomon is praying to the God who has revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob many years ago. He's revealed himself to Moses and the nation of Israel. And they are your people. They are the ones whom God has redeemed. But when Solomon is praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of the people of Israel, Solomon is not praying to some local deity. He's not praying to some idol that is just the idol and the God of any nation. He is praying to the God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The God who has created all the nations on the face of the earth. He is praying to the one true and living God. There is no other God. All the other gods are illegitimate. They are but the vain imagination of men's thoughts. He is praying to the God who made from one man and one woman all nations to dwell on the face of the earth. And the God who determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, the nations of the earth, then are God's concern because He is their Creator. Even though He has become, in particular, the God of one nation, the nation of Israel. And even though, secondly, God has revealed himself to Israel and he has redeemed Israel, God's ultimate intention and purpose is expressed in his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. God has scarcely revealed himself to Abraham than he discloses to Abraham Abraham, in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, in Galatians 3 and verse 8 says, The scripture foresaw that God would justify who? The Gentiles by faith. And when God made that promise to Abraham, this was the gospel being preached to Abraham beforehand. And then there is another consideration. Not only is Solomon praying to the God who has revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who is the creator of all the nations, not only is God revealing himself 
to Israel as the redeemed people of God. God has an ultimate purpose regarding the nations, but the Lord's house that Solomon is dedicating on this particular day is spoken of in Scripture later on in Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7 as the house of prayer for all nations. It is not just exclusively a house of prayer for Israel. And what does that mean? What are some of the things that that ought to conjure up in our minds? Well, the temple is the place where God has chosen to dwell. Yes, he dwells in the highest heavens, but he's also condescended to dwell amongst men, amongst one nation in particular. But that is the place of prayer. That is the place to go and meet with God. That is the place of atonement. That is the place where the gospel is pictured forth. That is the focal point for the nations. Cast your mind on another thousand years in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. It's recorded for us this particular passage in Mark's Gospel and chapter 11 and verse 17. The holy violence of the Lord Jesus Christ when he expelled the money changers, turning the court of the Gentiles into a marketplace. He says, this is a house of prayer for all nations. You've turned it into a den of thieves. A den of robbers. And he uses Isaiah 56, 17, uh, 7 as his reason. And by driving out those money changes, by driving out those robbers and those thieves, he was making Gentile worship possible again. Because these people filled the court of the Gentiles so they could not come in and worship. And it was the time of the Passover. And what did the Passover commemorate? commemorated God's redemption of his people, Israel. And Jesus is filled with holy indignation. These people have turned the house of prayer for all nations into a marketplace, into a place of robbers and thieves, and they are excluding the Gentiles, which was never part of God's purpose. I'm suggesting to you in the light of those three considerations that God is the creator of all nations. That God has made that clear purpose to Abraham. That in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that the house of the Lord is spoken of as a house of prayer for all nations. On the basis of those three things alone. These biblical considerations. Solomon's prayer is primarily a prayer that reflects the grace of of God. Here is Solomon as he pleads concerning a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel. Here is a man who is the king. Here is the Lord's anointed speaking as he prays as a prophet, pleading for God's grace, not only now to sinners in Israel when so and so sins, when this situation arises because of sin. But now he is praying for the stranger, the foreigner, the Gentile, that he also would enter into this forgiveness of God and be accepted by God. That he would know something of this God and of the salvation that this God has brought to the nation of Israel. Solomon displays something of the spirit of Jesus Christ as he leads Israel in prayer. There is no narrow-mindedness here. This man knows God. This man knows the promises of God. This man knows the purposes of God to bless the nations. And as Solomon pleads for the blessing of God to rest upon the nation of Israel, he cannot just stop there. He has to think also in terms of the nations of the world. And I would suggest to you with that prophetic spirit of Christ, led by the Spirit of God, he anticipates the prophet Isaiah in chapter 56, the house of prayer for all nations. But I go further and say that he anticipates the Great Commission in Luke 24, 47, and Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, that repentance and remission of sin is to be preached in the name of Jesus 
to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But then to all the nations of the world. And it is significant that when the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, he is a light to the Gentile nations also. And the Apostle Paul has no hesitation as the Apostle to the Gentiles taking those verses to himself as an Apostle of Christ. That he is a light also to the Gentiles for salvation to the ends of the earth. And you'll find that in his sermon at Antioch in Acts chapter 13 and verse 47. Now it is true that Solomon's prayer does not spell out all those things in detail. But is it unreasonable to suggest that Solomon's longings, Solomon's prayers, Solomon's vision, Solomon's prophetic desire, led by the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of Christ, his sincere desire for the spiritual well-being of men and women of other nations besides Israel, that this reflects on the heart of God to whom he is praying. That here is the God of grace. And it is the grace, the undeserved favour of God that lies at the basis of Solomon's prayer whether he's praying petitions regarding Israel in their sin, or whether he's praying a petition regarding a foreigner who is a total outsider, and at this point in time not part of the covenant people of God. This temple is without question a temple that is intended to be by God a house of prayer for all nations. That can only be the grace of God. It can only be something of the love of God, of the mercy of God. But then we go on secondly to show that in this particular petition the exalting of God's name is the basis of his petition. To show the grace of God that lies behind the petition. Now I want to show you that the exalting of God's name is the basis of his petition as he prays, moreover, concerning the foreigner. What is his longing? What is his desire? As he expresses it to God in prayer. In the hearing of all the nation of Israel. Remember, this is not a private prayer. This is the dedication of the temple. This is a public occasion. All the representatives of Israel are there within earshot. They too are praying. Solomon is the mouthpiece of the people. Well, there are several elements in Solomon's prayer. But fundamentally, he is concerned with the exalting of God's Name, as we will see in a moment when we come to verse 43. But there are three elements that I want to draw your attention to. First of all, the stranger comes. But why does he come? They're not of the people of Israel. They come from a far country. But they come, says Solomon, for your name's sake. Verse 41. And then he says, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. It's not what Israel is in and of themselves. It is what God has made and done for Israel that is the drawing power, if you like. There's the great magnet that is attracting the foreigner. It is something about God and his name and his power. God's name, his fame, his reputation is seen in his redeeming power that goes before him. We've already seen that Solomon is well schooled in the law of Moses, in the books of Moses. 
He has been well taught by his father David and he is imbibed as a good student all that David his father has taught him and all that the word of God has taught him. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 34 we read these words. Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other beside him. The redeeming power of God seen in the redemption from Egypt had one particular purpose with regard to God. That they might know that he was God and there was no one else. Surely that's what they want the foreigner to know. Isn't that what Solomon wants the foreigner to know? That his gods are useless and to turn away from them and turn to the one true and living God. And in the Ten Commandments, in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 15, Moses is saying here, as the voice of God, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. These were wonderful feats of divine omnipotence. The almighty power of God saving his people. Taking them out of the land of Egypt. Bringing them into the land of Canaan. Destroying all those enemies. Establishing David. Establishing the temple. In order that men and women might see these things that were going on. The nations around might see. Not only Israel, but the nations around might see that the Lord himself is God. And there is no other. You remember Rahab in Joshua 2? She said, we, we, we know what's going on. We understand what is going on. Why did the queen of Sheba come? says in chapter 10 when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon oh you said Solomon no look on concerning the name of the Lord the fame of Solomon was not the big thing the thing was the name of the Lord the name the fame the reputation of the Lord that's who made Solomon famous why was the nation of Israel famous it was because God was their God and he had done great and mighty things for them. They were different to all the nations of this world. And Rahab was one who recognized that. She said, there's nothing we can do to withstand you. We've heard what happened in Egypt. There is no point in the nation standing against your power. When these actions of power then, of what God has done in redeeming his people Israel, planting them in the land, driving out the nations, building the temple. It's because of God's redeeming power that the nations realize that there is a living and true God among these people. It is the exalting of God's name that lies at the heart of this petition. If I can move on a moment in time. Similarly when God raised his son Jesus Christ from the dead at the seed of David in fulfilment of his promises. He declared him to be the son of God with power. And through Christ Paul received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all the nations for his name, Romans 1, 3, 4 and 5. Surely there is a parallel here, a suggestive parallel. But let me come back to 1 Kings 8, the second strand. Here in verse 42, 
Solomon prays, when these foreigners, when these strangers come, and he says, when they come to pray to this God, when they come and pray towards this temple, verse 42, hear in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you. And Solomon's day, remember, God had chosen to dwell here on Mount Zion among his people. And even though Solomon prays here in heaven your dwelling place, there's no contradiction here. God had condescended to dwell. This was the meeting place on earth with the God of heaven. He made himself accessible. He is seeking men and women to worship him. He has called Israel to be his peculiar people, his special people. But he's also going out to the nations of the world. And it is remarkable, surely, particularly in the Old Testament, it is remarkable that outsiders, aliens, Gentiles, Solomon is praying that they can come and pray. What kind of prayers? What does the word mean here? It means petitions and intercessions, pleas for mercy, cries for help, cries for salvation, lifting up their hands, words coming from their mouths, a calling out to God, pleading with God, seeking God, the God of grace, that they might know the forgiveness of sins and the salvation that God has bestowed upon his people Israel. Solomon's prayer is remarkable. It's a prayer, Lord, do not turn a deaf ear to their cry. Hear them, don't reject them. But in mercy and grace, do for the stranger all that he calls upon you to do for him. And will not God give such salvation? Is it reading too much into Solomon's prayer to say that that is what he is praying for ultimately? Not, I would suggest, in the light of Isaiah chapter 56, the passage we read earlier. There are two kinds of people mentioned in Isaiah chapter 56, two kinds of people who were excluded from the assembly of Israel. One was the foreigner, the other was a eunuch who because of his sexual condition and his sexual disability was excluded from the covenant assembly. The foreigner was the other person who was excluded. But now, in that passage in Isaiah chapter 56, we find specifically that eunuchs and foreigners are to be included. A place in God's family is made for them. Strangers join in order to serve God. Verse 7. Even them, he says, the sons of the foreigner, even them I will bring to my holy mountain. Solomon is praying. They're praying towards this holy place. And God says, yeah, I'll bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted in my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Then verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to them. You see, Israel, sorry, the nation, the stranger is worshipping as Israel worshipped. And God says, I'll bring them. They'll come to my mountain and they will worship me. They will serve me. I think it's interesting in verse 8 that when the Lord says, I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. Reminds us of what our Lord said in John chapter 10 and verse 16. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. He said, I was sent to the lost sheep of, the, of Israel, but I have other sheep who are not of this fold. Gentiles, the nations. Well, we haven't time to follow that passage through. But the third element, back in 1 Kings chapter 8, which is the basis of Solomon's pleading, is that Solomon pray Solomon's prayer includes 
and draws in the intent and the purpose of God. Notice the latter part of verse 43. Why is he praying all of this? That all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. And that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. God's redeeming power, Solomon's plea that God will hear the prayer of the foreigner is in order that God's name will be glorified among all the nations of the world. Solomon's desire, Solomon's expectation, Solomon's prayer is that foreigners, Gentiles, come and share equally Israel's privilege in order they might know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel. They will know that this temple is called by your name. But it is in order that all peoples on the earth may know your name. This is the reason. This is a so that clause, and in order that clause, a because clause. This is the purpose, this is the intent of Solomon and the intent and purpose of God that God may be known among the nations by those who were once like Abraham, idol worshippers. When God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, what was he doing? He was a worshipper of the sun and the moon and the stars like the rest of the people in Ur, an idolater. And yet God called him out and showed him himself And Abraham began then to live the life of a man of faith. He walked by faith. He was a man who knew God, who trusted in God, whom God made promises and oaths to. We are told in Hebrews 11.10 that he was waiting for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And he became the prototype of those who walk by faith. He is the true Israelite. And he is the true Christian. If we take Galatians 3 and Romans 4 in their New Testament sense. But you see what is concerned here. He is concerned that not just Abraham and Abraham's descendants will know this God. But the blessing that was promised to Abraham and him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Solomon's thinking big. Not narrow-minded and bigoted as an Israelite thinking only of his own skin. He is thinking of the glory of God as it is going to be seen among the nations of the world as the message of salvation goes out to them and God is going to bring them to his holy temple and bestow blessings of salvation upon them. So you see the Solomon's prayer is really a prayer that God will be exalted, that God will be glorified through the lips and lives of those who once were idol worshippers, like Abraham was many generations before. Men and women will see the great feats and the redeeming power and love of God and pray to him and call upon him and he will save and he will pardon in his grace. There is only one true God All the idols are vain, worthless, imagination of men's minds, the crafting of men's hands. God will be glorified. Grace will be extended. Grace triumphing. That is the heart of Solomon's prayer in its implication as he prays that the house of God will be a house of prayer for all nations. I believe that is a remarkable thing in the heart of this prayer. And ever since I read it in order to prepare to preach it, I was puzzled by by the content of this prayer and by the inclusion of this specific petition. It's only this week as I sat down determined to seek to find out why is this a vital element in Solomon's prayer that I've been able to come to the conclusions and I present those conclusions to you this evening. And I trust that they will carry your conscience. You will see that the grace of God lies behind Solomon's petitions. 
and at the basis of his petitions is the concern for the glory of God among the nations of the world. Now if those two things are so, what ought to be our response? What ought to be our reaction? In the first place I would suggest that we ought to adore and wonder at the grace of God lavished upon us. Many years ago there was an African student who was listening to an account of the work of God among students in the Welsh universities was later put into a book it records a time when my and I were students in Wales, it was part of that period and this uh, African gentleman was very polite and he stopped the man who was giving the account and he said, excuse me Mr Davis, he said, hallelujah <laughs> that's what we ought to be saying this evening Hallelujah. Praise the Lord in adoring wonder at the grace of God to us. I'm not aware that any of you are Jews by birth. I might be wrong. Perhaps some of you have some Jewish blood in you somewhere. But I'm not a Jew by birth. And I have to stand in awe and wonder at the forgiveness of God extended to me as one who is an outsider we were foreigners we were Gentiles strangers Paul says that you were aliens, he writes to the Ephesians you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel you were strangers from the covenants of promise it wasn't part of your inheritance it wasn't part of your heritage you were far off you were from a far country. But now by God's grace in Jesus Christ you've been brought near. Now he says you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of that spiritual house. And you are living stones in that house. You have received the grace of God that Solomon prayed for, that Isaiah prophesied about, that Christ was concerned about when he cleaned out the temple. That gospel, now 2,000 years since the death and resurrection of our, Je of our Lord Jesus Christ, has come to you in all its saving power, and you know the forgiveness of your sins, and you know the blessings of that salvation, which God has prepared from before eternity, for those who hear his gospel invitation and believe upon his Son, Jesus Christ. You have been reconciled to God through the cross of Christ. And that wall of partition between Jew and Gentile has been broken down, never to be erected again. There are no longer Jews and Gentiles in God's kingdom. By faith we live. By faith in God. Jew, Gentile, Paul says that those distinctions are of no further consequence. And how did that happen? Well, you heard of God's love and power in the Gospels. We heard this morning. You heard in the same way as the Colossians heard. The Gospel came to you. The truth of God's Word came to you. And the Sovereign Lord who called Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and became their God, who called them, is the God who has become your God, your Father. Jesus Christ has become your Lord and your Saviour. He who redeemed Israel has redeemed you and become your God. He sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Not just to the lost sheep of Israel. He went to them first. But he had other sheep from among the nations. And here are some of you. Here are some of us gathered. And we confess the name of Jesus Christ. Ought it not to be adoring wonder? 
God has not left you, God has not left me to complain. We are separated from his people. He sought you. He was willing to hear your plea. He bent down his ear to hear your plea for mercy. And to give you salvation and a place in his house, in his family. Isn't that something wonderful? That's the grace of God. Extended first to Israel, now to foreigners, strangers, aliens, among all the nations of the world. Is there someone here this evening who has not yet reconciled to God? Has not yet realized the wonder of this grace and the wonder of this love? See again tonight the grace of God. It is there in sea form in the prayer of Solomon. It is there more clearly expressed in the prophecy of Isaiah, that great gospel prophet. It is there in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is there central in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. This is the gospel of God's grace that goes to all the nations of the world without distinction. It is universal and it is an offer of salvation to all. And if you will come and eat and drink and live, then these things are yours. Forgiveness of sin is yours. And God is yours. And Christ is yours. And heaven is yours. And will never be taken from you. Because God is a God who keeps His word. You come to Jesus Christ and you are saved. You have eternal life. The wonder is, you see, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and were driven out of paradise... God has been devising a way of seeking after lost sinners. He went after Noah. He went after Abraham and all that godless idolatry in Ur of the Chaldees. And finally he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He seeks sinners. He seeks the lost sheep of Israel and of the nations in order that you might know him and serve him and enjoy him for the rest of your life. But you must come to him. Be set free from your sins, repenting of your sin and believing upon Jesus Christ, the only Saviour of sinners. That's what many of you have done. Do you regret what you did? I trust not. How could you? How could you regret the grace of God is something too wonderful to comprehend. But that is the first part of our response and our reaction. But there's a second aspect which is more testing. Because in the light of what we have seen here, Solomon praying, in the light of what we've seen Isaiah prophesying and the attitude of Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul we need to become more God-like and more Christ-like, more Solomon-like in our prayers, in our attitudes, and in our actions. Let me ask you this question. Have you the same deep desire for the outsider, the stranger, the foreigner that Solomon displayed, that God in his grace displays, that Christ displays. The same desire for the honour and glory of God's name displayed in the salvation of outsiders. You see, our desires and our prayers are two-pronged. Two-pronged. There is the deep desire for the conversion of the stranger. But that is also driven by and coupled with a deep desire for the honour and glory of God through the salvation of the stranger, the foreigner. Are some of your deepest feelings and desires and sorrows and groans reserved for those men and women and children who at this moment are outsiders, who are strangers to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you spend some of your energy, any of your energy, 
in sorrows and groans for them. And in sorrows and groans and zeal for the honour and glory of God. If you are persuaded of the purposes of God, if you are persuaded of the grace of God, and if you are persuaded that this grace is a grace that ends in the forgiveness of sinners, and if you are persuaded that that forgiveness of sins will ultimately redound to the praise and honour and glory of God, then you cannot think of the church, can you, as some kind of exclusive club. The Pharisees, remember the Pharisees? How narrow-minded and exclusive they became. They excluded many and Christ openly rebuked them for their narrow-mindedness. Some even went to the extreme of seeking to destroy Paul, you remember, before he was converted. A Pharisee of the Pharisees seeking to destroy those who were of the way. But the grace of God turns lions into doves. Last week, Pastor Jeremy asked us, as an application of his sermon from Colossians 1, do you exclude people in your praying, in your witnessing? Because you decide whom God is likely or not likely to save. Did that question, that particular application, has it made any difference to your praying, to your witnessing in the past week? You see, lovelessness towards others is one way of hindering our prayers. And also little concern for the glory of God in the salvation of sinners is another thing that hinders our prayers. I don't believe Phariseeism died with the first century Pharisees. I find some of the roots of it in my own heart. Beware therefore of any reservations, any resentments with regard to those who are outside. Do not impose any limitations on the grace of God. Do not become like the elder son in the parable of the prodigal son who resented the father's kindness to his brother who had spent his life and lived an ungodly, unclean, impure life but was received back with the father's welcome and a wonderful feast and the best clothes laid upon him. And all the time there was this burning resentment rising up in the elder brother's heart. Beware of that spirit. It has no place in the place of Solomon's prayer. It has no place in Isaiah. It has no place in Christ. It has no place in Paul. It ought to have no place in our hearts. Pray then and strive to be more like Solomon. More like Isaiah. More like Christ. More like Paul. This is the will of God concerning you. This is part of God's will. If we are overcome by the grace of God, it is the grace of God that we have received that will drive out that kind of narrow-minded, bigoted Phariseeism. And let us pray. Let us pray increasingly that the Lord who is the true God who is the God who began that work of covenant mercy and grace in bringing Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. That grace that has now come to another stage in the sending of Jesus Christ into the world and the preaching of the gospel throughout all the nations of the world. Let us pray that here in this place and in this nation God's name will be exalted. And how will it be exalted? Through the salvation of men and women and children who at this moment in time are outsiders and strangers to the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ.
if that is not our vision and our prayer, then this church may go on for a little while longer, but it will soon die. And it will die while you sit in your seat. Do you believe me? Go and look around this county and you will see churches that once were full and now are empty. Why? Because something of this vision disappeared from their life and from their prayers. Zeal for the honour and glory of God. Zeal and passion and compassion for the souls of men and women lost, dead in trespasses and sins. May God exalt his name among us. Amen. O Lord, our God, we marvel at your sovereign grace extended not only to Israel but to all the nations of this world. We marvel that you have made that gospel known to us. We come and pray that you fill our hearts with awe and wonder and thanksgiving, but you'd also fill our hearts with compassion for those who are outside us, and that you'd fill our hearts with a love for your zeal and a zeal for your honour and your glory. Lord, may your name be exalted in this place in the days to come. May salvation in all its fullness in Christ be granted over and over again to many. Oh, may we see these things and may our hearts rejoice and may your name be glorified. We ask it through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.